Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Getting into late October now, things are definitely picking up for the holiday rush. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. Got a full slate this week, so let's get right to it. Our first film is based on the true story of the Granite Mountain Hotshots, a group of elite firefighters who risk everything to protect a town from a historic wildfire. It's called Only the Brave. You know what we're training for? Hotshots get to engage the fire directly. The SEAL Team 6 of firefighters. If you give me a chance, I won't let you down. Sooner or later, the fire's going to come knocking in our hometown. I told you it wouldn't be easy. You want to talk about it? Or you want to do your John Wayne thing? It's not easy sharing your man with a fire. This ain't the greatest job in the world. I don't know what is. What is that? Fire's threatening homes and people's lives. I want Granite Mountain. There it is. Your hot shots. I feel like the end of the world. As long as you can breathe, you can survive. No one could be prouder of his boys than I am of you guys. If the trailer for this movie made you wince a little bit, preparing for just Oscar bait and emotional manipulation, we're with you, but... This, you're not going to get what you expected. Yeah, this is a, one of those cases where it's not what we expected, and that is a good thing, because I'm with you. I thought it was going to be a lot of bombast and, you know, the swelling heroic music and all superficiality. Yeah. And the nice surprise here, it is not. Uh, really enjoyed this, and it's a story I was not familiar with. Ba- again, based on true events, so it's not going to be 100% historically accurate, but that's fine, because it's not a documentary about these Granite Mountain hotshots in Arizona. Apparently, they were the first municipal firefighters to achieve this elite hotshot status. And so they're fighting these fires uh, in the Arizona area and in the mountains up in there. It not only is able to show the respect that the, this job deserves, mm-hmm, I mean, incredibly mm-hmm. dangerous, and some of, the, some of the footage and some of the shots with the fire is really thrilling. So it gives you that angle, but then it also really, as it goes along picks two or three specific characters, specific people, to really get you close to and really feel them as people and Mm -hmm. feel how this job affects them. And that's what really makes this work. Because if you look at recent, quote-unquote, unsung hero movies, I I think of Peter Berg, uh, who's really made a nice little formula for his, uh, that usually star Mark Wahlberg. We're talking about Patriot's Day, Deepwater Horizon, things like that. And those, again... When I first saw those, I thought, eh, but they work. They came out to be very, very effective. And what his formula is, is boom, boom, boom. Let's give you a nice little introduction exactly. to all these different people, which is hard to do. It and is. he's he's been able to do it quite well and then get to the action. And, and that has worked. This formula is a little different, but I think equally effective because it gives you a bit of an introduction early. But then as they fight some fires, so there's some action, then mm-hmm. it gets, then it comes back to the people again, then fights another fire, then comes back. And so it gets you a little up close in little increments to some of these, uh, some of these characters. And as it goes along, it starts narrowing down to specifically a character played by Miles Teller, who mm-hmm. is a young firefighter, a, a guy who's had trouble with drugs, and now has a new daughter and is trying to get his life together. And he's accepted into this group of seasoned vets by the uh, supervisor played by Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. And then Josh Brolin is having some whole, a little bit of a home life troubles. He's He's been arguing with his wife, played by Jennifer Connelly, about whether or not to have children. 
So, so just a quick pause there. So there's three great actors, two Oscar nominees, one Oscar winner. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a good place to anchor your it film. Is. It is. And it's the director is Joseph Kaczynski. He did the movie Oblivion mm-hmm. a few years ago. It wasn't terrible. It's Tom Cruise. It mm-hmm. looked fantastic. Did. You remember how great that movie looked. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. This one also looks, looks very good, especially with some of the panoramic fire shots, but does much better with the characters, especially Josh Brolin and Jennifer Connelly. As you said, they're very good, and that's where the movie gets its emotional core. Their fight as a couple, not only to, to hold on to each other because of influences that may or may not have to do with the job, but then some that definitely do, mm-hmm. and the pressures of putting your life on the line like that. That's where the film really gets its its humanity from, and, it, and because that's the really the personalities that it focuses on the most. And it's it's really effective. And uh, if you don't know the story of what happened to this group of hotshots, I'm not going to spoil it for you because I didn't know. Right. And it made it all the more effective for me, so I wouldn't want to spoil that for you. But needless to say, it is gripping. It can tug at your heart a little bit, and it gets you to know some of these people and, and the job that they do as, as dangerous as it is. And I, I was really pleasantly surprised and maybe mm-hmm. that, you know what maybe that's on us maybe we shouldn't have had such a negative you know view going in or maybe it was a bad trailer <laughs> maybe it was a bad trailer but <laughs> this one definitely proved wrong so we would recommend this week checking out only the brave the next one not so much <laughs> you are right about that this one the story of detective harry hole no way we're not making that up <laughs> who investigates the disappearance of a woman whose pink scarf is found wrapped around an ominous looking snowman it's michael fassbender starring in the snowman a woman vanished last night we just found the body prince and the head He's missing. He calls himself the Snowman Killer. He's completely insane. He's been watching us the whole time. Building snowmen, cutting things up into little pieces. He's taunting us. If we don't find him, this is never going to stop. This one is based on the best-selling novel, a thriller. We didn't read it, but um, we think in looking back after we saw the movie and researching the book a little bit, that that was not the movie that we saw. No, and it's funny. So it's actually the story comes from about somewhere in the middle of this series of books about Harry Hole. And the Harry so- Hole series, not to be confused <laughs> with the Rusty Pipes Chronicles. And so it, it occurs to us that they maybe tried to wedge in too much exposition as opposed to just dropping us where this man is in his life. He's yeah. apparently a drunk and he needs a good case to kind of keep him on the straight and narrow. Right. And one of the problems with their trying to wedge in, you know, this backstory about an ex-wife and a new partner and just all these other things is that it it really takes attention away from the core mystery. And that's particularly problematic because they don't seem to know what they're doing with this core mystery. And what? the truth is... Yeah, when you look closely at the details of the novel, they vary. They they veer away from them in the the core plot points of this movie pretty dramatically, and in a way that doesn't pay off. No, it doesn't pay off. This movie really has the feel. Of, when, when I left it, it's about it's about a two hour movie. I felt it was actually a three hour movie that was just taken that that a meat cleaver was taken to it to edit just to get it down to two hours. Right, uh, which I'll, can't do with a mystery. By the way, I almost feel like somewhere there's a bunch of lost footage that would that would really 
tie it together quite nicely. Not that I want to see that three-hour movie, but it's just it just becomes nonsensical. It really does in the places that it goes, and it just feels like it's so chopped up. You can't get invested in it. No, you can't care. It's really hard to follow what the heck is going on. We know there's a serial killer afoot, yeah. and we know that you know Harry Hole wants to find who that serial killer is. But then it goes off on these other tangents. Oh, there are these red herrings that are. J.K. Simmons is trying to get some sort of Olympic event to Norway, and then something about prescription pills and. What? Yeah. It's it's it's, well, it's maddeningly JK, it ridiculous. And you know what also is such a waste of some incredible talent. Not just Fastbender, right? Yeah. But J.K. Simmons and Toby Jones and Val Kilmer and Charlotte Gainsbourg. Like there are there's some heavy hitters in this film. And speaking and of, you can't figure out why. Right. And it's a director that we have liked yes. very much. So Thomas Alfredson, his last film was Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, which was good, but the one we love, and he's back in Oslo, the one we loved is Let the Right One In. Just oh. one of the best vampire movies I've ever seen. Well, now, yes, I, I agree with that. But then, take a movie like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Now, that was one very, very intricate. You know, it had you had to really pay attention. Now, I could see this movie being something like that. Sure. If it would have maybe held together and, and they would have stuck to the to the book and, as you say, left out so much of that exposition. Right. Maybe. I don't think it could have gotten I don't up know. to that level. Here's but... the thing. You know, uh, 10, 12, 15 years ago, a girl with a dragon tattoo made a big splash in its original, the Norwegian version. And uh, and then, of course, there've been they made the trilogy. They made an American reboot. And, and it sort of ushered in this wave of Norwegian thriller novels being being moved to the screen. And and the, the problem is, and, and it's the problem I had with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo as well, the details are so misogynistic. They're so lurid, and that's what they are here as well. And you know what? By the ninth or tenth time I see this movie yeah. about a serial killer who has issues with women and so feels the need to decapitate them and cut them into pieces... It's not only is it is it sort of offensive, it's just boring. Yeah, I really was anxious after about an hour into this movie to talk with you after it because I was really getting the feel that there was mis- misogynistic overtones in this movie. And uh, and I thought, you know, you jumped and agreed right away because it does. It, you, you can't help but feel that the way it's presented. So definitely agree with that. So all by all accounts, uh, The Snowman, just a big waste of talent and a real maddening mess. Definitely. So cannot recommend The Snowman at all. And boy, you talk about trailers that uh, didn't really impress. <laughs> How about this one? International art dealer Ron Hall must befriend a dangerous homeless man in order to save his struggling marriage to his wife, a woman whose dreams will lead all three of them on the journey of their lives. Finally opening this week, same kind of different as me. I had another dream last night. Was it a good one or was it about me? It was about a poor wise man who changes the city. And I saw his face. We've been married 19 years. We don't share the same life. We don't share anything. You can leave. Hey! We have to talk to him. That's a man from my dream. What's your name? You don't need to know my name. Well, I'd like to know your name. Tell your woman to stop bothering me. You'd be doing me a big favor to just be nicer. You want to be my friend? Uh Uh-huh. Well, I'm going to have to think about that. Whether we's rich or poor, we's all homeless. Just working our way back home. Denver changed everything. Our lives together would never be this beautiful. Now, you see, finally, and for those of you who may not be aware of this, it's because the trailer itself dropped over a year ago. Yeah. And it had such immediate 
passionate, hateful response from the from the internet that the distributor dropped it. Yeah, just mockery and deservedly so. It was such a heinous trailer that yeah, Paramount I guess was was involved and just backed away from it, and it was picked up almost immediately by Pure Flix, who do a lot of faith based, a lot of Christian films. And there are definitely some Christian themes in this movie, church-going themes in this movie, which is fine. Mm-hmm. So they picked it up and, and put it right out. And it's um, the adaptation of the book, same kind of different as me. And, boy, it's it's one of those that, well, the trailer, first of all, had, you know, White Savior written all over yes. it. And that's the angle they take here, which is unfortunate in a lot of ways. Because if you see the story, and again, we didn't read the book, but... Did a little research on it, and the story is it is based on true events. Yes. You've got these real, this really rich couple uh, in Texas, and they were having marital problems, and they end up doing some work at a shelter and befriending this homeless man named Denver. And it's Juman Hunsu, right? And then the couple is played by Greg Kinnear and Renee Zellweger. And in the true events, after all these things happened, it led to. I think millions of dollars being raised for the homeless and the needy, which is fantastic. It is. Don't want to belittle that at all. The The message here, the story is very nice. The message, help thy neighbor, fantastic. The point is, the problem is, how are you telling that story? And Denver is a real man, was a real man, as as with this couple, real people, and he was listed as one of the authors of the book. So once again, why can't the story be told through his point of view. It has to be self-congratulatory to these white people who, oh, look at them, you know, coming down off their pedestal just to give a little help to these African-Americans and these underprivileged people. We've seen this before. The blind side covered this in very obnoxious territory. And this one might even be more obnoxious. And it's, again, it's not the message. It's the way they're telling it. Yeah, it's if the message is... Look at how wonderful white people or rich people can be when they, you know, stoop down to help those. It's just, you know what? Just do it. Just do it because it's what you ought to be doing. You don't need to be thanked for it. And the other thing is that they're not presented as real people. And, you know, they were real people. I think that's the biggest thing. Right. It's it's a uh, the debut feature film for the co-writer and director Michael Carney. And there's absolutely nothing in this movie that feels authentic. Right. I mean, even down to little things like Renee Zellweger's character sleeping in full makeup. Sure. So she can wake up in the middle of the night with a revelation and have full makeup on. Or when they have flashbacks to young Denver's poverty-stricken, dirt-poor life, the actor playing him has perfectly gleaming straight teeth. Right. I know, okay, nitpicking, but it just goes to show there's nothing... There's no feel of authenticity in this movie whatsoever. And the uh, Great Kinnear character is an art dealer. Mm-hmm. So he made all his, all his money. Okay, fine. One time he takes Denver, his new friend, to the art gallery, and they end up being in this room looking at paintings of the KKK. The art dealer explains this is like shock art. Okay, so then it has a flashback to some of Denver's very painful memories of dealing with the KKK. And almost immediately after that, it just cuts away to Greg Kinnear's character walking in the woods by himself with a nut, with just a voiceover that says, there are just some things in this world he can't understand. Like, yeah. that's how we just wash our hands exactly. of it all. Exactly. It's so frustrating. And again, so, so only the brave, you've got two Oscar nominees and an Oscar winner. You have the same thing here. Two Oscar nominees and an Oscar winner, none of whom get the opportunity to act at all. And again, only the brave. A trailer that just seemed manipulative 
and yet turned out to be a great film. Not here. Yeah, not, not here. Not here at all. Movies as bad as the trailer made it out to be. Yeah, it's just give us a big pat on the back for having the courage to bring our black friend to our all-white country club. And uh, hooray for us. So yeah. no, no, no thank you for the same kind of different as me. And another one that's based on true events. Yeah, this seems to be the week for that. This one, the story of Mark Felt, who under the name Deep Throat, helped journalists Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein uncover the Watergate scandal in 1974. It's Mark Felt, the man who brought down the White House. I give you the guardian of the American dream. Mark Phelps, fidelity, integrity, bravery. Ladies and gentlemen, the G-Man's G-Man. Five men were caught early this morning in the Washington headquarters of the Democratic National Committee. Here's what we know. The men who broke into the Watergate are not the end of this thing, but the beginning. No one can stop the driving force of an FBI investigation. Not even the FBI. What you're doing will bring down the whole house of cards. Washington Post. This comes from classified FBI files. The White House has it, and now you have it. How high does this go? What about the president? Is the president lying? They're all lying. There's a nickname for you at the paper. Deep Throat. Well, I remember living through the Watergate hearings, and I remember as a boy being very mad uh, during the summertime because... The hearings were on all day long on TV and nothing I wanted to see. <laughs> but I definitely heard the term Deep Throat, the name Deep Throat. And, of course, throughout the years and then the movie All the President's Men made Deep Throat very much of a, a mysterious figure until a few years ago he was finally identified. Well, I guess Mark Felt identified himself. Right. Because originally Bob Woodward had said, I believe, he wasn't going to say until Deep Throat died. But uh, Mark Felt came out and uh, said that, uh, no, he was the guy, and this is his story. And, you know, it's funny. There were two things. There are two things that kind of hang over this movie. One is All the President's Men, right? Because that is such a compelling and fascinating film that mm -hmm. you just wonder yourself, how is this going to compete? And then the other is time, you know, because, to be honest, without getting political, the current climate makes Watergate seem quaint. Mm -hmm. It truly, truly does. So what I was hoping when I saw this was that it would it would be a little bit like watching Selma, which is near to a masterpiece. And so it's the very, very high bars being set there by Ava DuVernay. But what she was able to do with that piece of historical drama was without being heavy handed or smacking you about the face with it. She made very visceral connections to modern problems. Exactly. And that's what I was hoping to see in this. And I have the feeling that that's what Peter Landisman was hoping to do with this. But it just didn't really pan out for him. Mm -hmm. He's got a strong lead in Liam Neeson to play Mark Felt. But you never get behind the character or inside the character. No, the truth is, I felt like I knew Deep Throat better with three minutes on screen in Hal Holbrook than I did with two solid <sighs> yeah, hours boy, of Liam Neeson. Then that is a big missed opportunity. It really is. Because Peter Landisman, he wrote the script for uh, Kill the Messenger. Right. A few years ago, which I thought had it wasn't great, but it, it was solid. Mm -hmm. But then his last time out, he went for the writer-director route, and boy, concussion with Will Smith uh, really, really kind of suffered. So at that time, you're thinking, all right, maybe he should just stick to being a writer. But here, even the writing gets weaker. It really does. And you know, it's interesting if you think about his three films; they're all based on true events. And he's a he he was an investigative journalist for the New York Times. So obviously, this kind of material is a draw to sure, him. Yeah, yeah. But but for this film, he tries so hard to find ways to let the audience know who each player is. And there's simply too many. You know, what he needed to do was just treat it like an ensemble drama. And and 
it, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of players. Just go with it that way because the movie is so bogged down with his trying to find a way to explain who this man is and how they're connected to this man when really the bigger themes are far more important. But it suffers from weak writing in, in several areas. And as you and I were talking about, Diane Lane plays Mark Felt's wife. Alongside the Watergate part of the film is some backstory about their marriage, their daughter, and what would eventually lead to a hearing about the way he behaved in terms of the Weather Underground as a mm-hmm. terrorist organization. Right. But we don't know any of that, right? We know enough about Watergate to piece stuff together. We don't really know anything about the family's backstory. And so Diane Lane has these lengthy soliloquies where she's basically explaining the entire marriage back to her husband. And you keep thinking, why is she telling him this? Certainly he knows it. But the truth <laughs> is, she's not telling him this. She's telling us this. Yeah. And that's just weak writing. And it's funny because a way that uh, uh, where you can see that when that is done correctly it can really be beneficial is in the first movie we talked about, Only the Brave, because they use a device of having a couple new recruits in the firefighting team that have to be shown certain things, and that's how the audience, we learn about some basics of firefighting that we didn't know. That that are going to be important to know later on, sure. Exactly, they're going to be important, and they make it... Now, I don't know if, if... the real story had new recruits or not, but even if it didn't, this was a great way to introduce that device to show us these things we need to know about firefighting without it coming off as like that. Why would they be telling exactly these people that? They already know that. So it can be done well. Here it's not done well. No. I mean, there's one really, I thought, interesting insight, which was basically that Mark Felt did what he did, not because he was particularly worried about what the current president, whether he was a criminal or not, but because he could see the need to separate the FBI from the White House, which is what had the, when when Hoover died, J. Edgar Hoover died, the White House appointed a new head of the FBI who would do what the White House said. Well, the FBI needs to be independent, therefore they can conduct investigations. So it was interesting to me to see how Felt had the long game in mind. Yeah, so he wasn't so much concerned about getting rid of Nixon no. as to just making sure there was a separation exactly. there. Yeah, exactly. But, but you're right. It really needed to make a stronger correlation to today's climate to find more power there. And that's Mark Felt, the man who brought down the White House. The last of the movies in wide release we're talking about this week, but there's two we should mention that are out in limited release if they're in your area. I want to check these out. First one stars Daniel Radcliffe in Jungle. This is a, a another true story. A young man named Yossi Ginsberg, who took a year off of his life uh, in Israel to to travel the world. He meets up with a couple of friends in Bolivia. They make close friends. They hire a guide to take them on the sort of not on the tourist to-do list through the Amazon <laughs> And one thing leads to another. Eventually, Yossi is separated from everybody, and he spends the next three weeks alone in the Amazon jungle. One thing I just want to point out, what that basically means is this film is about 45 minutes of nothing but Daniel Radcliffe. So if anybody wonders whether Harry Potter can act, this will set that aside. He's wonderful. He's magnificent, and he's perfect for this role. The movie has a lot, falls into a lot of pitfalls. It does. It could have been better. The writing could have been better. The direction could have been better. It's disappointing because the director is Greg McLean, who we loved with Wolf Creek. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to have a lot of faith in his audience or his material. So he's very leading. But it's a fascinating story in that it's true. And uh, the performances, all the performances are great. So it really elevates above some of the pitfalls. And the other one in limited release this week is a new film by a celebrated visual artist, and political activist, very moving film called Human Flow. 
Ai Weiwei, who uh, there have been a number of documentaries about him and his problems with the Chinese government. This one he directed, and it is about uh, the, the issue of refugees across the world. Visually quite stunning, very compelling. Does a great job of giving you a sense of both just the massive numbers and the actual humanity. It's a beautiful film. Without being preachy. Exactly. Just to let you see the problem with a, in a, in a just backing up and looking at it as a as a whole, yeah. without taking sides, without pushing one specific type of ideology. And yeah, beautiful film, beautiful film. Check it out if it's in your area called Human Flow. This week on VOD, DVD, home video, Spider-Man Homecoming. Woo! One that we liked very much. I was a little bit apprehensive about the new Spider-Man because really, are we going to so many reboot people were. this again? But I was so, so wrong and so happy to be wrong. I love the tone of it. It exactly. really, it was funny, but not uncomfortably funny and, and maybe funny in ways that, that undercut the action as some of these superhero sure. movies have done. This one worked because it's set through the worldview of a 15-year-old boy, which is what Peter Parker exactly. was supposed to be. Right, and and not in that way that's angsty or that's like high in drama. I mean, it's just, the movie is just fun, start to finish fun. And Michael Keaton makes a good villain. Mm -hmm. There's a nice little plot twist toward the end, which I thought was just clever genius and really, really, uh, really liked Spider-Man Homecoming. Made me look forward to uh, what's next on Spider-Man's docket. So big thumbs up for that one. Also one that a uh, little bit outperformed our expectations. That seems to be the theme this week as well, is Girls Trip. It did well. A lot of well, people... Well, at the box I'm right. talking about what we thought it would be. At the box office, it cleaned up. It did. And, it, you know, I mean, it's it's a cliched mess. It really, really is. But it's funny. I mean, because it doesn't it doesn't worry about getting raunchy. It's full-on raunchy. Hey, There's a it. lot of people peeing on a lot of other people. <laughs> you see naked old man junk. I mean, they just... They're they're full out. They're, they're, they're going for it. And also, the performances are better than I would expect in a movie about four middle-aged women who decide to go to New Orleans for a girls' weekend. Yeah. Um, um, the story is bogged down with sentimentality, but you know what? It's it's so much better than I thought it was going to be, and it, it dares to get a little bit raunchy, and the performances are great, so better than I thought. And another one out this week called Landline. This is the second movie with writer-director Jillian Robespierre and star Jenny Slate. Uh, the last one was Obvious Child, which was superior to this, but this is still another, it's a good New York indie dramedy. Jenny Slate is charming and hilarious. It's set in the 90s very affectionately and realistically so uh, about sort of two sisters sort of hitting different landmark ages and the way that they reconnect and the way that their family kind of falls apart and comes back together is very charming. I liked it a lot. So a decent week for new home video releases. In the theaters, the definite recommendations are Only the Brave and if it's in your area, the documentary Human Flow. Next week, a bunch of stuff coming out. Suburbicon, looking forward to that. Co-written by the Coen brothers, who we love. Directed by George Clooney and starring Matt Damon. Suburbicon coming out. Latest in the Saw series, Jigsaw is on the way next week. Also, Miles Teller, we were talking about him. He's back next week in Thank You for Your Service. And also in limited release, The Tragedy Girls, Dina, and All I See is You. That's it's a all. lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Well, it's getting to be that time of year. Ramping yeah, up for the holiday yeah, films. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, in the meantime, let us know what you thought about the movies this week. If you would differ with us about same kind of different as me, by all means, let us know. The easiest way to get in touch to keep the conversation going is on Twitter. You can find us at MadWolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, MadWolfColumbus on Facebook and Instagram. And the main website where you can find the written reviews and some other fun is MadWolf.com. So until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and MadWolf.com. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya.
I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.